Hello, world singers. My name is Brooke. And I'm Tyler. And this is Cosmere Cosmere Conversations. Again, everyone, welcome back. We have another episode in our short story and novella series. This time, Shadows for Silence in the Forest of Hell. I feel like we haven't been on the pod in a long time, but it's been the regular amount. It has been the normal amount of time. (laughs) However, time is relative. So time is individualized to you, Brooke, and to you, listener. So maybe it's been a long time for you personally, and maybe to another person like... I just listened to this podcast the other moment ago. All things can be accurate when it comes to time and space, but we can't get into that. Let's stay on topic. (laughs) I am super excited to talk about this story. It's super interesting. And I think this particular story and this planetary system has some of the most like mysterious tidbits that we have in the Cosmere. Yeah, we've mentioned before how Brandon Sanderson is a great mystery writer who writes fantasy instead of mystery novels, and it so often feels like he's dropping these hints throughout his different works that really just allow us to like get in and dive deep into the weirdness or the externalities of the Cosmere in a way that Well, obviously we love because we started a podcast. (laughs) Well, and also when he gets invited to do short stories and anthologies and things like this, he takes it as an opportunity to write more in the Cosmere, which is great because he's like trying to give more to his fans wherever he can. But then it also means that like we don't have that much information about this planetary system. We just have this one short story yes that is definitely true hashtag all spoilers all the time we know this but the lack of a general novel or a series like we have on other planets really makes this short story which we should say was part of a anthology that was edited and put together by george rr martin of game of thrones fame brandon actually said in a interview that while George is obviously most known for Game of Thrones in the industry, he's actually seen as a really powerful and serious editor of other people's works. And he's often working kind of behind the scenes or like on that production side of the equation where like normal fans may not know what's going on, but like the authors are aware of how much Um, editing there's going on from people like George R. R. Martin. Martin put together this anthology that was entitled The Dangerous Women, and Brandon was invited to write one of the entries, and he came up with this short story, Shadows for Silence in the Forests of Hell, that was set on the planet of Threnody in the Threnodite system. And just one more quick note on the anthology. I think it's really cool that one of Brandon's um, like reasons for writing this story was that he wanted to write a female heroine who was like not 
a cliche, basically, and like uh, a female heroine that we don't often see. And so we get our main character, Silence, who is like a middle-aged, large woman, like not... Mother. Yeah, a mother. Just someone that we don't often see in like this kind of powerful, dangerous role. So anyway, I just thought that was really cool. It's really cool. And I think it's also a marker of Brandon recognizing his own early weaknesses. And I'm sure it's the weakness of a lot of early writers, especially male writers who, you know, it should go without saying, um, are overrepresented in literature. And it's difficult to get out of your own mindset of what makes a hero so often a person when they start writing it's just like well a hero is me but cooler so if you're a male you're like i'm just gonna write a male but a cooler one on a cooler planet with a cooler magic system than earth or even like women who are only women in name and have like all of the masculine characteristics in order to make them a hero (laughs) i think that's a great point and something that clearly Brandon has worked on and developed a lot on. There are massive differences in his writing of female characters in the later or more recent Cosmere books or any of his books, including Skyward, uh, which obviously has a female heroine. I think it's just obvious that Brandon has like recognized one of his early weaknesses, done a lot of practice and work and developed his skills as writing different perspectives. I think he has gotten better at writing women, but I think even from the beginning, like, I really respect that he has so many women in his stories, like, and when you take his work as a whole, there are so many women and they are all very different and complex women. And that is something you don't see very often even in like a single book, much less across an author's entire canon. So Brandon, if you're listening, I appreciate that about your writing. Yeah, well, he's definitely listening. because Big he's fan a, of the pod. Yeah, he's so. a big fan of the pod. Everybody knows this. Brandon <laughs> is definitely listening all the time. We hang out like on the rig. <laughs> Uh, I just go to his class at BYU. It's totally great. And we just are good friends. 100. Yeah. So you were mentioning the Threnodite system, which is the name of the planetary system on which Shadows for Silence takes place. And it has a super interesting backstory. It is, as we mentioned, one of the planets we know the least about. But what we do know is that it is the site of one of Odium's earliest victories, in the, we'll call it like the War of the Shards, or kind of the War of Adenalsium, the big war, the Cosmere Significant War. We know that Odium clashed with and mortally wounded the Shard of Ambition in the Threnody or Threnodite system. And that's from Chris's essay in The Arcanum Unbounded. This clash between the Shards had huge ramifications on all of the planets, but especially Threnody, which Chris speculates was filled with investiture of some type pre this battle, uh, but it was radically changed and the people were radically changed by this clash between Odium and Ambition. Yeah, I had this thought while I was 
taking notes for this episode. So wait, let's back up a little bit. As you said, it changed this planet. It changed the people a little bit just about the history of the people on the planet. They originally lived on one of the continents, one of two, and they call that continent homeland. At some point in their past, something that they just call the evil came and essentially forced all of the humans to flee from homeland across the sea to the second continent, which they, in their own like mythology, referred to as hell. And Chris describes the evil as a creeping darkness, a terrible force that consumed the entirety of the continent, feasting upon the souls of men. And I was thinking... Like, I think we were talking about in the last episode how, like, what if when a shard is shattered, it breaks into pieces of, like, related qualities? So that, Mm, like, if ambition shatters, it just breaks into, like, different aspects of the quality ambition. And I was thinking, what if, like, this thing that pervaded the homeland is some kind of like power of corrupting ambition, like not positive ambition, but you know, the really bad ambition we see in like totalitarian leaders and things like that. And if it infected like the humans and made the humans like attack each other or something like that, I just thought it was interesting that she says feasting upon the souls of men Like, maybe it's actually changing the men, and it's not so much an outside force. There is so much that we don't know about this clash, and that we don't know about what happens when the shards clash. Like, our best example is on Scadrail with Ruin and Preservation going at it, and then we have Odium fighting the kind of a remnants of honor and cultivation on Rishar, but this is on a whole other level. This is one shard vanquishing or destroying another shard, and the ramifications of that have not been fully explored. And so this pretty short story, I mean, it's it's definitely not even like novella length is the only glimpse we have of maybe the future of something like Rashar, or maybe the future of if like Odium keeps winning something like these weird evils spreading across planets and systems maybe what some of our you know other loved stories have in store for themselves if Odium wins yeah definitely I think that what makes this kind of very simple story of people living on one continent and another continent that they label as hell and then something being so bad, the evil, that the only escape is to go to hell. Yeah, so intense. Exactly. And it has a good reason for being called hell and that comes down to the continent is covered in shades which we are going to talk a lot about in this episode but it's just a really interesting concept that what could be worse 
than what we see Silence dealing with in this novel. Like, it seems really bad. The shades, as we will go into, kind of like sucking, yeah, wither like the soul They are out of not people. living a good life. They have, you know, their ancestors have fled across the sea, settled on this second continent, and essentially now for, I think it's like a hundred years. Right around a like hundred years, maybe like a hundred plus 20 or so. Yeah. Um, they've been living essentially trapped in this um, like refugee living. Like their day-to-day life is very unsettled. Um, they have a lot of like defenses that they need to engage in every single moment of every single day. Like it's a life of constant vigilance. So it's by no means, you know, of re- relaxing great life. Yeah, I mean, I think for my perspective, it kind of sounded like the people living in hell or on the second continent were almost like American pioneers in the West if all around the West there were ghosts that wanted to kill you. Like, yeah, (laughs) it's they have kind of like they don't know the land. It's not very well developed. They have kind of a couple of major forts and areas where they have carved out a little bit of protection. But as soon as you go like 100 feet away from these enforced areas, you're in the wilderness and the wilderness wants to kill you every single second of the day. Yeah. And I think we don't see a lot of it, but... From what we do get, this sets up like an interesting power dynamic because like you said, you have certain like fortified areas and it seems like the only way that really makes sense is if, you know, they have decided, okay, you can be a part of the collective. The benefit that you get is protection, but there's some kind of cost of like needing to abide by certain rules, which is why silence has chosen to not live in one of those protected communities yeah her family was one of the original scouts her grandmother even adopted the name for scout um as emblematic of her sacrifices that she was literally one of the first people to land and settle as best she could this super dangerous continent it is from silence's grandmother that many of her practices her traditions and the lessons that silence passes on to her own children uh she learned including her own religion which is kind of like a dead religion or a lost religion super interesting that's all about worshiping the god beyond which we also hear referenced by shy in the emperor's soul okay and so we have to say that Cosmerologically, the story takes place in between Mistborn Era 1 and 2, which is after Warbreaker and all the stories that we currently have on Cell. So the idea that in Threnody's past, there was this religion that worshipped the God Beyond, which is also known about on Cell and is referenced by Shy. it's very question mark question mark question mark like what is going on well and we know that elantrians at 
the least are and have been traveling around the cognitive realm, potentially around the Cosmere. So like maybe they brought it, but maybe it's like an even more ancient religion, like the original Adonalsium religion. Yeah. Is the God beyond like the God that is beyond the shards or past the shards? We also have just like slight similarities that I'm going to, I kept seeing between Shadows for Silence and the Force of Hell and Six of the Dusk. Six of the Dusk, obviously, we talked about how they have the ones above who are not really a worshipped in a religious sense, but I kind of get the feeling that maybe like this god beyond is also not so much a god, but maybe one of the shard players or Adonalsium himself as you or herself or itself (laughs) it was also interesting that the like symbol of that religion is a dagger which for some reason i felt like i had seen somewhere else before too but that might just be me being crazy so if you have any crazy theories about the god beyond hit us up on facebook twitter reddit all the different places let's keep talking what is kind of our breakdown of the planet Threnody, the cool investiture that is there, and what's going on with Silence and her family? Great questions. Um, I do think that something interesting about the, what's it called? Planetary system Mm -hmm. is that all of the planets, well, there's three planets in like the inner circle and they are all named like, sad things (laughs) (laughs) serenity yeah and then there's one there's like this big beautiful planet in an outer ring that's called purity and we know that the battle between odium and ambition happened not on any of the planets just like around them yeah in the space so i'm imagining that either there used to be a couple of other planets in between Ooh, those yeah. things um, that got destroyed by Ambition and Odium, or they fought in that just kind of empty space. And then Purity was just like untouched by yeah, their Yeah, exactly. And so evil. it's like the most um, pure or the most, the same, the least affected by this gigantic clash. Another interesting thing to note about those planets is that None of them really have any perpendicularities. Chris says they have only really unstable perpendicularities that are very difficult to predict. And she says they have, quote, a somewhat morbid origin. Which may give us a hint at how the shades were created. Like, I don't know really what that means because we're heavy speculation, but... It's just what is morbid and there's an entire planet of like cognitive shadows. Like kind of dead things. Yeah, but it's not cognitive shadows like we've seen in other places. They're not Spren like we see on Rashar. They're not like Kelsier mm-hmm. that we see on Skadriel, but they are a twisted darkness type of cognitive shadow. And so I'm wondering if like did Odium and ambitions clash create the shades or did something else create the shades and that's like this morbid 
origin. like Or something like Elantris, maybe, where at one point you died, you turned into like a magical Elantrian. Like maybe they had magical Elantrians. Twisted. Yeah, and then it got twisted, and now they're shades. So it definitely has a little something to do with extra investiture, like the Elantrians, like the returned on Nalthus. We know that cognitive shadows come about when there is some extra investiture either in a human a person or you know in some type of concept idea like honor on rashar but what we believe is that there is some extra investiture natively in the people of threnody and occasionally when they die that extra investiture creates a shade now, does that shade always go to continent number two, even though most people were living on right. continent number one? It's like, it's weird. Yeah, like, why are they located? And then it, like, reminds me of Cell in that way, too, of, like, investiture being very location-based. I think that we always have to remember that the cognitive realm and the physical realm are very linked geographically. We learned this in Oathbringer yeah. and Rashar is, like, they're literally like maps on top of each other and then kind of reverse for land and water, but very location-based. So I have many, many questions about Threnody and what creates a shade, and we're trying to take as many hints and clues that we can from this work, but there's also just a lot that we do not know. So with all of these shades floating around everywhere, let's talk about why they have to be so vigilant, why the humans have to be so vigilant, and the methods that they have devised to cope with their cognitive shadow neighbors. <laughs> Silence calls these the simple rules, and they are so widely known that it's like ingrained in everyone. You have to follow the simple rules. Well, some people more than others, because she talks about how like the fort people are so stupid and yeah. they like barely know the simple rules the fort folk uh yeah. but people on this second continent hell need to follow the simple rules as to avoid or not die by the shades the shades are basically everywhere there are some things that like keep them at bay but there are also places that just have shades like walking through their homes and just yeah. kind of like shades like they're just sleeping floating next around to you. everywhere. Yeah, I mean, just think of them like as kind of like ghosts, where they're just always around and just but present. also like zombies a little bit. Yeah, I mean, more I guess ghost zombies yeah. is probably the closest zombie ghosts. Uh, so you can try to run, but they'll just phase through stuff, coming and get you. Simple rules. Number one is don't kindle a flame. Don't create a flame. Don't start making a fire. Um, and this obviously makes survival pretty difficult uh, because yeah. fire is used to eat food and, you know, <laughs> keep you warm and safe, especially when you're a new pioneer in a new land. Like, fire's pretty important. So we're going to go out on a limb and say a bunch of people died to figure <laughs> out simple rule number one. Well, and like once you get that fire, you can't let it go out. You have to maintain that fire literally 
like for your whole life. Yeah, and it is said that because you can't start another one. The hearth uh, that Silence has built her home and her way stop, uh, her bar basically was created. That original flame was created by her grandmother and has been continually kept up for you know like 70 years yeah yeah, at least but this also means that things like weapon technology guns and gunpowder which rely on that initial spark and flame being created in order to ignite your your black powder or whatever type of explosive you have um are unable to work or function because every time you fired one of those types of guns it would attract the shades and the shades would kill you which like you would think would make them maybe a less violent people but it just means they have to use really gruesome methods of killing each other yeah and silence is pretty dang good at uh those more gruesome less uh yeah (laughs) they also have an interesting phosphorescent um, what is it? It's like a goo or a yeah. moss or something that they use in place of things like torches so that they don't have to constantly light a flame. Yeah, I think of it like a bioluminescent uh, like mushroom or something you, or like where the source is like some type of bioluminescent mm-hmm. thing that they pull and then they're able to turn into like a paste. Oh, and, that's right. Glow paste. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then they can spread the paste on, you know, like a normal stick and use that as a torch but it really does create some of the limiting factors and also probably one of the reasons why even after a hundred years the they haven't progressed yeah, really exactly, at all limited progression because of that lack of ability to create fire and develop in the traditional manner second of the simple rules is do not shed the blood of another and doing so will is like the one thing that most enrages the shades it immediately makes their eyes turn red and they will just attack the person who shed the blood and then after they've like gone into that blood frenzy kind of like a pod of sharks they will just kill everyone around that area yeah i think the idea of like sharks or piranhas or any type of creature even like bees you know when they get like a swarm of bees gets angry and once they get triggered it is nearly impossible to turn that function off uh, until the source is completely defeated or eradicated or whatever Um, it's a very terrifying type of idea because even something like you know bees enraged is not something humans want to deal with certainly sharks enraged is not something humans want to deal with and these are ghosts and zombies enraged <laughs> like <laughs> absolutely terrifying and then the last rule is do not run at night so the shades are like agitated by quick movements and for some reason particularly during the nighttime yeah you can actually run during the daytime and make quick movements during the daytime without attracting the shades but if you run at night that pisses them off it is almost in some ways because of their not just attraction to blood but the overwhelming desire to attack and kill the person who drew the blood 
it's almost like the shades don't like death. Yeah, that's what I was thinking too. It's like they're trying to make this people more peaceable. But obviously the only manner in which they can do that is by killing. Is by killing. <laughs> so not great at the whole Although, not death stuff. Okay, but then there's the question because are they actually killing that person? Are they just turning that person into a shade? Maybe they're like, hey, we're in heaven. Come to heaven with us and we'll save you from this violent world. I don't know. It kind of is <laughs> one of the biggest question marks that we have about what the shades are and what their motivation is because it does seem a little weird in many respects and this is just where the length of the story really hinders us because we just we don't have as much exploration into these shades as we would something like the scadriel or the rashar like this is just slightly more limited and the reason at the root that people like you want to follow these simple rules and avoid enraging the shades is because when a shade touches a living human, the flesh like shrivels and turns gray and kind of dies, which is super similar to what happens when a shard blade passes through a limb. I thought that was a really interesting connection. Um, And then also super interesting Silence has a blade that she slashes a shade with, and she says that she feels like a slight tugging as the blade pulls through that shade. And that's also super similar to the way that when a shard blade passes through something, they feel like a little tug. And we know that shard blades, we know a lot more about shard blades than we do about all of Threnody. We know shard blades are operating on the cognitive and spiritual realm and separating some cognitive realm aspect from the physical body. Yeah, like that tug is the spiritual blade passing through that person's spirit web. Yeah, and we assume that the blade, which is made out of silver, and we'll talk a whole bunch more about silver, is somehow slicing through the cognitive realm and the spiritual realm which allows it to harm the shades what's unique or what's makes us question is that we haven't seen silver on many of the other cosmere planets and as such a popular metal here on earth it actually now strikes me as very weird that silver is hugely important on threnody but virtually unheard of on any other planet so weird As I was rereading this story, I just kept, like, trying to make silver be aluminum, but I don't think that really works out because I do think that previously in other stories where Brandon has kind of hidden aluminum in plain sight, he has described it in, like, physical terms that clearly say it's aluminum, um... And has like named it something like on cell, Ralkalest, like something different. He hasn't hidden it as another metal that we know of before. And the silver is definitely described as being like shiny. It's hard enough to make a blade. And all like of that crossbow kind of... bolts, like yeah. many weapons, spears. Like it's definitely not aluminum. 
it really doesn't seem. I mean, we were going very deep into how silver could like, be aluminum. Why? It really seems like silver on Threnody is weirdly similar to aluminum everywhere else. Yeah. And maybe that's another thing that like was corrupted or something. Yeah, like I was trying to work in how maybe the silver was infused with bauxite in the clash between the different <laughs> odium and ambition. It didn't make any sense, but like I was trying really yeah, hard trying to get so aluminum hard. into the silver somehow. <laughs> I was like, is there any possible way that silver could actually be aluminum? But so many of the properties of silver as it is described on Threnody line up with what silver actually is and not with what aluminum. So we really don't think that it is aluminum, but we do want to take a quick sidebar and to talk about what aluminum is in the rest of the Cosmere because you can kind of see why we were so confused and why this these aspects of silver on Threnody reminded us so much of aluminum elsewhere. Because they use silver. It's the only thing essentially that can bar out the shades. So they make circles of it around their houses. They have weapons made out of it. There's even like a cave that's lined in it. And when the shades touch it, this is something I thought was really interesting. It blackens. Yes. It like gets corrupted almost. But that corruption as Silence mentions after her dagger slices through some of the shades, can be polished back out. Like it's, it, yeah. there's a point where it's it gets too bad and then like breaks down. Um, and then there's a point when you've like hit a couple things and it can still be operational. So we know that aluminum is one of the most significant metals throughout the Cosmere. Um, on Scadrial, it is one of the most significant metals for A, uh, some of the alloys that are made. But as pure aluminum, it is designed to burn away all other metal reserves that an alamancer may have. And they use it a couple times on Vin to like, um, when she's put in prison. Make her powerless. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it essentially negates like all other investiture and Brandon even described it as like a sucking out effect, like sucking out poison from a wound or something. I thought that was really interesting. It like siphons off investiture somewhere, sends it back to the spiritual realm or something. Yeah. I mean, maybe it doesn't actually suck out the physical metals, but does suck Just out- Just the investiture. Yeah. The investiture and the cognitive or spiritual connection to the physical metals- we know that if if it was possible to become a alimantic savant with aluminum, a person could actually cleanse their spirit of unwanted effects of investiture as a person could cleanse the body of impurities. It's such a weird metal, and we, we see it, as you mentioned, on all the other planets too. Um, it is the unforgeable metal on cell. On Rashar, of course, it's used like it, like silver is on Threnody to line a the room yeah. in Oathbringer um, where the people of Kolinar are like hiding and sending out messages and stuff. Like that whole room is lined with aluminum 
Because it protects them. Yeah, because it doesn't allow investiture through. So the fused cannot track them or... And we know that most importantly, probably, is how it's used on Nalthus. As a sheath for Nightblood. So like one of the most powerful artifacts slash people in the Cosmere is controlled and contained by aluminum. So aluminum resists all investiture. And silver, maybe silver is invested? Just naturally always invested? I mean, that doesn't necessarily line up with other things that we know. I know, but then it also, like, it kind of acts like stormlight in that, like, when Kaladin gets slashed by a shard blade and his arm is, like, dead, he's able to force stormlight into his arm and, like, fix it. And that's essentially what happens with on Threnody. Anytime someone is attacked by a shade and they start to wither, if you pour silver dust on them, they, like, plumpen back up. And that is a, a really great reminder of, like, basically what Kaladin experiences and then what he, how he heals himself is virtually identical to what happens to Silence and her oldest daughter, William Ann, who, or when they are attacked by shades, they're able to heal themselves with silver. And that withering, that dead physical body, that separation from the cognitive realm is healed by the silver in the same way that Kaladin through Stormlight is able to heal. Okay, now I'm thinking shard blades are shades. Yes, that oh my gosh. has to be true. That's such a good like mental image of a having blade. a dead spren blade. Well, remember, we know this from Adolin's. Adolin has a shade, her Maya. Right. And in the cognitive realm, oh, yeah. she looks like a shade, kind yeah. of. Like she yeah, has the blacked like, out eyes. Yeah. And she's all kind of like, you know, creepy compared to Syl. The other ones who are yeah. all like brightly colored, like. Yeah. I mean, lively. Even Pattern gets like, I mean, they're said to be creepy, but he's like kind of cool as well. He's like kind of tall and got his like robes on with his weird patterny face. Um, but Maya, Adolin's dead spren shard blade, is. Like a zombie. Like a zombie ghost, kind of. And she can't speak or or won't speak, Mm -hmm. um, but does have some type of recognition and awareness of what's going on. And she obviously has a close bond to Adolin. So the process of creating a shard blade may be similar to the process of creating a shade. Maybe, but... There's so, I don't know, man. There's so many questions. There's so many questions. So many questions. And that's the problem is that this story basically just is a launch point for other questions in the Cosmere. What is silver? Why is silver able to do the things it's able to do? And then question mark, question mark, why isn't there silver used on all the other planets? I mean, if it's has these type of investiture powers these beneficial aspects on threnody wouldn't it have some type of beneficial aspects or usable aspects on other planets you would think so unless there was just something like really weird and unique about threnody that for some reason only invested silver and like 
also weird that the humans don't have a way of like biologically using the investiture. They can only use it externally. Yeah. I don't know. Also weird. The other thing that is supposed to ward away shades is pigs. Yeah. Like they have pigs not to eat. Nobody eats pigs. They just have to be on the property. But they have pigs around to ward off shades. So what is going on there? Like, Is, is that this like a, just a folklore thing and it's not actually magic? Or... Are pigs in, somehow maybe invested pigs, with silver? Yeah, pigs can use silver. If you like feed a pig silver, it can like alimentically burn it. <laughs> Misborn pigs. <laughs> if any good has come out of this podcast, it's Misborn that theory pigs. right yes. there. We'll know our fans when people walk up to us and they're like, Misborn pigs. Misborn pigs, indeed. Make t-shirts, everyone. Oh, they're going to be huge. <laughs> you can buy them on our non-existent store. Yeah. Misborn it's on our pigs. website That's gonna, right now. That should be our first t-shirt. <laughs> misborn pig. Let us know if you want a misborn pig t-shirt. We'll custom make it for you. So without just wildly speculating more and more about the different aspects of silver and what it means, let's just kind of briefly hit on some of the cool characters and plot points of Shadows for Silence in the Forest of Hell. Because as you mentioned at the top, Silence, our dangerous woman, dangerous woman, is pretty dang awesome. Yeah. I mean, if you had to live in hell, you would definitely want Silence to be your mom. And for William Ann and Sabruki, Silence is their mom. Uh, and both of them seem to actually, you know, unlike some kids, uh, really appreciate what uh, Silence does for them and what she teaches them and, and how she has raised them in this world. And in so many ways, she has sacrificed so much for both of her daughters. First, Willie Mann is a child that she conceived out of wedlock with a man that her grandmother did not approve of who then died, leaving her all alone to, like, raise her daughter by herself. And then Sabruki, she saved from a massacre. Sabruki has a very dark story. Super dark. Uh, I mean, without making everyone real sad, we know that silence basically hunts down evil people to get the bounties that have been placed on them in this kind of criminal, lawless land, you know, Wild West-style there's a bunch of bad people. Chesterton is one of the worst. Uh, has a huge bounty on his head for rape, extortion, murder, and assassination. What we eventually learn is that Chesterton and his gang found Sabruki's family, which was, like, rather large. I mean, she had a bunch of brothers and sisters, and then her mom and dad killed them all, raped the women. Yeah, probably did more than that. Yeah, I mean, like... Sabruki was hidden underneath the floorboards as the youngest child. She was like shoved down here. Everyone else was murdered. She listened as that happened, as there were rapes going on. The blood from her family Just literally dripped the down onto her. And then silence arrived at like the farm or the homestead multiple days later um, and was able to find Sabruki just like hiding in this little area. So she, she adopts 
this girl and like cares for her, protects her, even though this child, you know, in this incredibly difficult environment where, you know, it's kind of that attitude of like your kids have to be able to add yeah. to your your home and like help you farm and like do something productive because life is very difficult. And Sabruki definitely cannot do that. She has severe PTSD. Um, and yet silence takes her in and cares for her. Um, yeah, for the first like six months or a year, Sabruki doesn't talk. She doesn't do anything. Like she's she unresponsive. She stares at a wall. Yeah. And silence nurtures her back. Um, by the time we meet Sabruki, she is still dealing with the aspects of post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, Obsessively cleaning. Yeah, she definitely has channeled her post-traumatic stress into an uh, OCD-like, or that's what I got from it, is that she literally cannot cl stop cleaning every aspect. She's even cleaning the pig pen. Yeah. Like, pig pens, if you've never been on a farm, are not clean, <laughs> and they're never going to be clean. Uh, but she had cleaned the whole house and so needed to move on to the pig pen. And Silence kind of theorizes in her own mind that this may be a way of Sabruki feeling like she has some control in a world where clearly she nobody has control of anything. Yeah, and it, everything is very unpredictable. But Sabruki eventually is one of the main reasons that silence is motivated to go after the criminal chesterton uh because while silence does recognize him from posters it's sabruki's reaction uh where she is a young child i mean william ann is like a teenager or maybe yeah. young uh teen and sabruki is closer to like a seven or eight year old like yeah, pretty I think young she's like eight to ten yeah and when she hears chesterton and the gang she immediately like turns back into that cold um blank personality and is just like i'm going to kill them and it's like okay little tiny human uh you're freaking me out because you're eight <laughs> years old and you just turned into like a psychopath who had no other thoughts whatsoever than like i'm gonna go kill those people and silence is like look kid you're gonna stay here i'm gonna handle it grown-up style and that's what the rest of the the plot entails is Silence and William Ann going out to kill Chesterton and the gang. There's quite a lot of like sad, depressing realities depicted in Cosmere books, but this is I think the darkest book, which makes sense. I mean, it's called The Forest of Hell. Like you're living in hell. <laughs> and I think the whole anthology that was put on by and collected by George R. R. Martin was like Brandon is probably the nicest and lightest mm -hmm. fantasy author that was in the entire anthology. Um, so maybe he felt a little pressure to like Bolted darken it up. up. Yeah, bit, exactly. Yeah. He's like, oh, I'm writing for George R. R. Martin. You gotta really darken this. <laughs> gotta put some blood in. Well, there's a lot. You did it. You scared me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was frightening. Um, and then we should also say that another aspect of the difficulty of living is the taxes that silence is required to pay. And the Theopolis is the 
tax collector, right? That's what he kind of like his front is. Uh, he goes around and collects the taxes for the local fort and they're, you know, in quotes, offering protection. And Silence is like, bitch, my family's a four scout. Like we've been here forever. Yeah, like F you, dude. Yeah. I protect my own home. But Theopolis, his front is a tax collector. And what allows what that allows him to do is also be Silence's fence and bounty beard oh nice very good uh but uh yeah theopolis is the one who collects the bounties um so that silence doesn't off. have to like reveal herself as the bounty hunter exactly and they have this kind of long-standing relationship that we're introduced to uh but theopolis is clearly more of like a he fucks her over though Oh, yeah. No, no. That's what I'm saying. He He's clearly someone who is looking at every single opportunity to abuse and yeah. manipulate silence. And we assume hmm. everyone else. Would you say he has some ambition Ooh. in a negative way? Well, Always looking out for number one if and trying to advance his own status and... Wealth, yeah, wealth. I think is his primary motivation, which, as you know, any person knows, is like a huge negative aspect of people's ambition. Is so often ambition is only motivated by desire to get wealthy. I was just reading this article on Andrew Carnegie from the late nineteenth century, and someone asked him, like, "Bro, why can't you stop? You are." the richest human being on the planet or one of them at that time and your factories are gigantic and you're super powerful and just like what keeps you motivated to keep making money and carnegie's response was i can't stop at this point i've forgotten how to it is such an interesting idea about greed or ambition that at a certain point you don't even really recognize what it is you are doing or what is motivating you you just want to continue yeah i mean i think that's probably one of the like fundamental things about those qualities that inspired people to make them things like seven deadly sins because they're just like black holes that are a negative loop that don't produce anything at all and just keep like sucking you down into them their end negative investiture Ooh. (laughs) so nerdy Ooh, maybe that's what shades are shades are end negative investiture i don't know how that makes sense but i think there's something there someone smarter out there in the world turn that into something good message me (laughs) (laughs) you can find us on twitter facebook and reddit i think that that's a good thing to keep in mind is the in positive, in neutral, in negative forms of investiture and most clearly seen on Scadrial with allomancy, ferrucamy, and hemallergy, we know that there could be something about the process of creating shades or, again, we don't know if it happened pre-ambition and odium clashing or after that moment, but... It's an interesting concept that like a cognitive shadow like Kelsier on Scadrill in Mistborn's Secret History 
does not have any of the qualities of these shades because maybe he's an end neutral cognitive shadow or well he also chose to become a cognitive shadow yeah maybe he's an end positive like yeah okay so we, we have three kind of examples of cognitive shadows in kelsier maya and the shades could that be in positive in neutral in negative no i'm just i'm trying to fit all of them in (laughs) but like maya is clearly different than a spren which is a cognitive shadow of a sort that has become cosmere aware yeah self-aware so maya is something else she's a dead spren so she's kind of more like a cognitive shadow okay yeah, I see that. I do think that uh, there's something about that being a dead, self-aware piece of investiture. Mm-hmm. Like, that's a pretty good description of the shades also. Yes, they are definitely a dead, self-aware piece of investiture that just has this corrupting influence and the withering effect on human beings, but maybe... That's because their creation story and how they are made is like a in negative form of investiture. I wonder, do you think like the corruption of the spren on Rashar is similar to what happened to the shades, maybe? It certainly would follow that like odium is a corrupting influence. Mm-hmm. And, and so he created the corrupted spren and maybe his battle with ambition created the corrupted shades um it's kind of i know we're combining so many of the different planets but if you take the return from nalthus they are not so much a cognitive shadow but they only reason they can exist is because there is a choice that's given to them by the shard on that planet which is endowment who shows them a vision of the future and asks them if they want to go back to help it or to to solve it in some way. And they choose to do that and have their memories wiped and they don't remember that choice. But like they are given kind of extra investiture in order to be returned. And the- they're like weaponized. Yes, almost. Yeah, it's like Kelsier... Plus extra. Kelsier and a bag of chips. <laughs> and Kelsier is already pretty cool. So when he has that bag <laughs> of chips, you know shit's getting real. I just love this concept of the different cognitive shadows or the different cognitive realm things that we have been exposed to. Obviously not the main focus of any story, with maybe the exception of Mistborn Secret History. But hidden behind all of the Cosmere stories is the cognitive realm. And in that cognitive realm, there's so much going on that is left to explore. It's basically like Brandon set up a shadow world, a second world in every single one of his books. So you could read about Silence, or you could read about Six of the Dusk, or you could read about Vin and XYZ and all these different characters. And at the same moment, Every single second of their story, every single second of their journey, there's kind of a mirrored existence going on in the cognitive realm. It's very like Alice in Wonderland. Oh, we are going deep down the rabbit Through hole. Through the looking glass. I like how we did both of the references <laughs> into Wonderland. 
But that, yeah, there's just this ability that Brandon has created both of these worlds simultaneously, one obviously influencing the other and affecting the other. And we have not even seen the spiritual realm yet. Who even knows what's going on there? Yeah, I mean, we have, remember the description of the three realms that we've definitely mentioned before, but think of it like sunlight, where the spiritual realm is the sun itself, the cognitive realm are the rays of light or the photons of light traveling and then the physical realm is like where that light strikes on earth and provides what we would call light that way of thinking about the physical realm like we mainly just look where there is light and we mainly just look on these planets we barely get any of like the photons and the traveling cognitive realm and we have almost nothing about the sun itself, the spiritual realm, the source of all of this. But that's what we want to know, obviously. Well, if nothing else, this little short story is a great uh, little playground to talk about many of the internal workings of the Cosmere. This episode has been super fun. I think that Shadows for Silence in the Force of Hell is one of the stories probably the fewest people have read just because it started off only available in this Dangerous Women anthology. And while now you can find it online or pay for it in the Arcanum Unbounded, I think there's a lot of people who probably haven't explored this and it's a great short story. If you And have... I think one that as we get more information about the Cosmere, we can keep coming back to and learning new things. I think that's probably the best aspect and why we love the Cosmere so much. It's the Easter eggs that are hidden and the things that we didn't know in this moment that eventually when we return and reread stuff, it's all, oh my gosh. So what? satisfying. Yes, yeah, exactly. And that is part of the magic. It's part of why we have this podcast. It's part of why you're listening. It's part of everything. And we really love it. Until next time. Life before death. Strength before weakness. Journey before destination. 